Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Nikki Haley is sliding into my local TV commercial spots here in Chicago, and I've got some questions starting with why, just why? Finally, somebody has apparently figured out how to disrupt the absolutely terrible polling industry. Oh, and the AP wants you to believe that scalping is somehow a white thing that they did to Native Americans. Also, what's the theme of 2024 here at Critical Thinking? Where is the show heading? What am I going to be focusing most on? Let's find out together because I'm Andrew Coppins and you are tuned in to Critical Thinking. That's right, it is Wednesday, January 3rd. Most of the time we would be doing a WTF Wednesday on the program, but uh, we kind of did that yesterday as we looked at the insanity that took place in the wonderful world of the break that was the holidays. So Christmas, New Year's, in between, absolute insanity. But on today's program, we're going to be talking about Nikki Haley. We're going to be talking about the AP. We're going to be talking about... uh, polling, and liberty, all in one episode. So let's just start with this. Um, Nikki Haley, over the break, one of the things that I noticed the most over the break was this, that Nikki Haley had somehow become a thing that people cared about in Chicago. Now, I get it. It's one of the biggest TV markets in the nation. But is Illinois a play in the 2024 GOP primary? Is it like happening right after Iowa? Is the Chicago TV market one in which they're going to be able to buy ads and influence the Iowa caucus? No. No. So I have a question, as you can tell if you are watching. Is Nikki Haley the GOP's replacement plan? 
that's where I started to think on this is maybe we're not talking about this from the perspective of Nikki Haley doing anything to garner support here in Illinois to win the victory in the GOP primary here. Maybe this is a signal to Team GOP, like Rona McDaniel and others, that, hey, by the way, I've got a ton of money and I'm spending it. I've got some cachet. I've got some big-heeled donors behind me. I've got a huge super PAC that knows how to spend money the correct way. And, oh, by the way, I can out Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis. I can talk about China being this crux of the axis of evil, if you will, with Russia and, and Iran, of course. And that's what the ad is about, is I know how to be tough on China and this, that, and some other points in between. But what other reason would you have to spend money in a state in which either you're going to win or Donald Trump is already going to win? And and I'm telling you this right now. Donald Trump is going to win the Illinois GOP primary. That That's just the reality of the GOP voter base here in the state. Nikki Haley is not going to win it. She might win some of the, the donor class that exists here in the fine confines of the city of Chicago and its suburbs, but overall the population of Team GOP here in Illinois would be not Ron DeSantis, not Nikki Haley, but Donald Trump. And that's the reality of the situation that we are facing ourselves here in the state of Illinois. So what other reason would it, would you have to spend the precious money, the finite, because there are not infinite, it is finite, resources that you have. Why else would you do that in the Chicago media market? I don't know what other explanation exists other than this is an attempt to make herself look like the potential replacement. Now, by the way, the ads themselves are horrifically stiff they're horrifically bad she's looking into the camera and very clearly just reading off of a teleprompter it is cringe 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 all the time but that's not the point again the point is why are you buying ads in the chicago tv market three four months ahead of that gop primary why are you not targeting iowa in New Hampshire, with the massive amounts of money that it takes to get in to the local TV ad business here in Chicago. Why? Now, could it be that the conglomerates that own multiple media markets are saying, hey, you need to buy a package? That that could be the case. And, and we're going to sell you your Iowa ads, but also place them in Chicago. And we're going to get you a little more bang for your buck in the city of Chicago and that, that major metro market, possibly. But I don't believe that to be the case either. So what is the point? The point is an attempt to signal to Rona McDaniel, to signal to others that she is the answer to the question that you, I, and almost every logical, reasoned person on the right, quote-unquote, or in even libertarian circles like myself, have been asking, what's the plan 
for Donald Trump's inevitable demise. Well, what do you mean by that? Again, the lawfare. Whether you believe it to be good, bad, indifferent, the reality is that he's dealing with it. The reality is they're going to likely get him, thus creating a felon. The likelihood of them attempting to continue to disqualify him state by state by state until the, the Supreme Court does something or not about it. We can continue down and down and down and down this path. The point of the matter is, the question we've been asking is, what is your plan to deal with this as a party? Because you cannot just let Joe Biden and the left win by default. You can't do that. That would be stupid. It would be monumentally stupid. It would be monumentally exactly a microcosm of what we talk about with Team GOP, but it would be monumentally stupid. Your grift, your entire existence would be gone. Now, that notwithstanding, the point of the matter is as simple as this. Who's the replacement plan? Is it Ron DeSantis? Is it Nikki Haley? Is it somebody that we've never seen before? Is it Vivek Ramaswamy? No, it's not. That's very clear because there's a debate on January 10th in the state of Iowa, and I don't think that Vivek is even going to be attending that. Point of the matter is this. Is Nikki Haley actually Team GOP's replacement plan, and she's putting ads in major cities, like Chicago and elsewhere, to get you used to the idea? Could it be that they're going to watch and see maybe Ron DeSantis pulls Iowa off and gains some sort of a momentum block that um, we didn't see necessarily coming? And, uh uh-oh, we can't abide that. Or, uh uh-oh, it's March and... um, they're, they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do on the left with Donald Trump. And they're going to do what? They're going to do what the left did with Joe Biden. They're going to say, ah, uh, no, 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 no. We don't want an uncontrollable puppet. We want the controllable puppet. So Super Tuesday, here you come. By the way, you've never won anywhere before that. and uh, But we're going to make sure that, um, that you do win enough of Super Tuesday that you're now just going to win the rest and and be our nominee. Because we can't abide an actual socialist like Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg or Buttigieg or Buttigieg or whatever, however you wanted to pronounce his last name. The, the, the point of the matter is that the left had a playbook, had an idea of where they wanted to go, and, and uh, they put their thumb on the scale or I shouldn't say the left, I should say the Democratic Party put their thumb on the scale and said, yeah, no, we're not going all the way there except for wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We actually are going there. We're just going to use a puppet to do so. On the flip side here, Team GOP is looking at the playbook and saying, we need that. Is that the case? Except for it wouldn't be to lurch to the right Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It would just be so that status quo becomes the thing that you worry about. It would become status quo team GOP because power, not results, not 
advancing conservatism or advancing a right-wing agenda or advancing liberty is what they're actually interested in. No, it's a consolidation of power. We've seen this with Big Baby, right? Uh-oh, we talked about repealing Roe versus Wade for 30, 40 years. Let's put it this way, my entire life, so 42 years at least, we've been talking about repeal, 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 and uh-oh, it actually happened in, uh, oh wait, no plan. Why? Because it was never actually about those organizations working for the reality and then the aftermath. It was all about them gaining and consolidating power and money and influence. That was it. That was their only game. And that's really what it is about with Team GOP. Donald Trump is a controllable puppet. That's the reality of this as well. For the MAGA Forever crowd, really, Christopher Ray, still the FBI director. You listen to Fauci over Scott Atlas. Why? Because somebody stroked Donald Trump's ego enough. That's the reality of Donald Trump. It, it, it's as simple as that. You stroke his ego enough, and he'll do what you ask him to do. That's the reality. Whether you like it or not, that is the reality of a world of Donald Trump. But Nikki Haley is even more of a controllable puppet of the donor class of Team GOP. So if they watch Donald Trump becoming a trend, or they watch... Ron DeSantis, who is not controllable. He's like, thanks for your money. I'm still going to say what I'm going to say and do what I'm going to do. Allah, look at the money that was spent on him by the donor class. And then he still went with the heartbeat bill and talks about being pro-life from a really pro-life perspective. And he says what he means and means what he says. It cost him quote-unquote, tons of money from the donor class? Or is it Nikki Haley, the controllable puppet? That's really where I think this is going, is that she is showing herself early on to be that option, to be kind of that uh, hitting the eject button, if you will, uh, as the plane's about to go down. She's the one that, they're going to look to to be that, not Ron DeSantis. I think we would not benefit from a perspective of freedom and liberty with her in place. But consolidating power, all of those things, liberty is still going to lose. But Team GOP could win, and that was my point, right? That was my point in some of these things, when I talked about, you know, yesterday that the GOP would lose in 2024, it would lose because it would lose its base. It would lose because, yeah, it can consolidate its power, but to what end? I don't know what end. I don't know what the plan is. I, nobody has signaled to me what that is. Nobody has signaled anything good. So let me ask you this very simply. Do you believe Nikki Haley is that replacement plan? Do you believe that Team GOP is looking to hit the eject button on Donald Trump 
and forecasting some really bad things if he actually becomes the nominee. I think that's the plan, but let me know on X. You can follow at the Coppins show. That's C-O-P-P-E-N-S, C-O-P-P-E-N-S, at the Coppins show. You can follow me on X. You can follow me at on Facebook, um, all sorts of different places. Do not forget, by the way, that uh, you can also go ahead and make sure that you are subscribed, that you've hit the follow button, whatever it might be, that you're downloading and going and giving a rating and a review wherever possible on your favorite podcasting platform. You can always find the show every single day on X as well as on the Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. So if you are not already subscribed there, go there, subscribe. Believe it or not, that actually helps the Rumble algorithms. Um, and that's all you really need to do to help us is make sure that you're subscribing, that you're rating, and that you're reviewing. It takes 10 seconds out of your day. That's all that we are asking here on the program. Now, um, moving forward, though, so one of the things that we take a look at when the question comes, well, what about Nikki Haley versus Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis, yada, 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 is more polls, right? Well, the reality is that more polls are more polls because the data doesn't make sense. And the outcomes don't make sense based off of some of the data. For instance, we're told that Donald Trump has a 50-point or a 40-point or whatever point lead, Right over Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley's coming up on the heels of Ron DeSantis. But then when you actually look at the, the raw data and the raw information, oh, wait, that was saying your, your first choice would be right now. But how many of them are locked in on that first choice? And, and then when you look at Donald Trump, that number is less than half. So more than half are willing to switch to somebody else as we head into January and as we head closer and closer to the GOP primary, excuse me, the GOP caucus in that state. What have I been telling you forever about polling and more importantly, data? I am very famous from the COVID-19 era of saying a very simple phrase, garbage data in equals garbage data out. You can't input crap data and expect good results out the backside. You have to know that you're getting the correct data sets. And then you can work on your algorithms, on your polling methodology, and get better outcomes. It's why when we looked at like things like Trafalgar and Rasmussen and this, that, and the other polling groups out there, why some would work better than others in certain years because they had figured out the formula of how to get better data. And one of the problems that has long existed that pollsters will tell you has long existed is a right-wing populace that doesn't trust the polling, rightfully so, by the way. They don't answer the phone. And when they do, they're not 100% truthful because they're afraid of what might come of that truth to pollsters, to media, to whomever is putting this together. That's the reality, and they're right. It has been a longstanding issue with getting accurate data, and it's been a longstanding issue that 
people like myself who analyze data all the time have taken up with these polls is you are not getting an accurate representation of that subsection, that niche of the populace. Well, there might be a solution. And is it that polling is going to get a AI makeover? Well, we have this for you from Robert J. Salvador. Put your money where your mouth is. Pollgate is real, or more polls, as I like to say. He says, I posted many polls showing how inaccurate, misrepresented, or inefficient the data is from almost every mainstream pollster. Hater said, if you're so sure, put your money where your mouth is and create a poll. Well, that's exactly what he's doing because today, Robert J. Salvador announced, I'm releasing the first ever AI-created poll. The poll will use AI automation and big data to generalize preferences and make a guess on a person's voting habits based off an algorithm and other technical tools. But you might be saying to yourself, but um, Andrew, um, AI, isn't it the devil and isn't it bad and da, 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 da. No, no, no. AI has very useful purposes. This can be one of them. More importantly, the automation, big data, all of the things that he had talked about, machine learning, all of that. <clears throat> Those are actually important tools because when you understand preferences and consumer habits and th what they're talking about, whom they're talking to, da, 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 you can understand a lot about a person. And he points this out, going on to say, why is this better? Simple. There's a reason Amazon Prime knows your buying habits better than anyone, even yourself. Log in and watch it tell you everything you like in life. Big data and things like AI slash ML, which is machine learning, can crunch data and make better assumptions than biased, pay-to-play, non-mathematically sound polls. It's like Moneyball in sports. There's a reason every major sport coach uses data to plan their strategy in 2023. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't disagree with that at all. I think one of the biggest storylines, if you will, of the 2024 election is who can use data best. And, you know, we, we talk about going to all 99 counties. Iowa's a little bit of a different animal when it comes to that because they do like that in-person feel, whether that's in small, you know, 10, 15, 20 person settings in rural Iowa or, or bigger events or whatever have you, they do like that more intimate um, situation. But if you're a campaign and you had the ability to understand preferences, to understand consumption, to understand how people like to be interacted with, is that or to your advantage or not? I think it absolutely is to your advantage. And most importantly, when we are talking about this, is that it becomes something that you must take a greater look at. It becomes something that can be a weapon to use to your advantage. That, my friends, is the absolute reality in front of us when it comes to AI, machine learning, big data, and the future of how campaigns run. It is not about paying pollsters. It's about paying data analysts, data engineers, 
and people who can create the right algorithms. That's the reality here. But he continues further on, Mr. Salvador stating, on 1.7, we will release a poll. It will be 100% data-driven and transparent, the first ever AI-driven poll. On 1.14, we will release another AI-driven, but a hybrid that cross-references with standard polling methods. A few important notes. This is not a counter-poll for DeSantis. While it seems DeSantis is currently undersampled by mainstream polls, we will release our poll whether it shows him at 55, 35, or 15%. The goal is transparency and accuracy. Number two, this is being done by a team of technologists, DeSantis supporters, but not the campaign or PAC or any related groups to them. Number three, some of the biggest brass and influencers in the Republican Party are supporting and partnering on this. More info to come. Pollsters, you're on notice. Better tech is going to disrupt you. I think, honest to God, that this is absolutely fan-freaking-tastic, if you ask me. Absolutely a fantastic idea. I think we have got to look at how polling is done. We have to understand that we live in a world in which Amazon and Google and everybody else, predictive analytics, if you will, right? We live in that world. We live in a world in which everything that you consume, every step you take, every move you make online, offline, whatever, can be measured, can be understood. And you want to get more accurate assumptions of how people will act, this is exactly how you do it. And I think it was going to be much more helpful. The question that I have here, as they give these two different samplings of how they would do polling, is going to be this. How do you quantify and output what is inputted to you? That I'm going to be very interested to see because I don't think you can say, well, we're predicting 55% of the voters will vote for Donald Trump. Well, we're predicting, you know, the polls tell us this, 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 like we've always seen, right? 55% of voters say, no, 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 no. So what are the new outcomes? What are the things that we should be looking at? What are the, the, the points that will prove predictive? That I think is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. Now, on the flip side of fascinating to watch is the absolutely predictive freakout of the left as a darling of the left, doctor, for as long as that's still a thing that she will be able to retain, Claudine Gay and her glorious tenure as president of Harvard. That stiff and staunchy and starchy institution of higher learning being disrupted by a black lesbian lady for six months. And then, well, she turns out to be an absolute academic fraud. And then when that academic fraud resigns because she's about to be ousted, what happens? Well, it turns out that that fraud, yes, I said fraud. Well, 
um, it turns out the media goes to work for said fraud. Um, absolute gaslighting. That's right. The AP, Associated Press, gaslights us about Claudine Gay's ouster at Harvard. Now, here's the rub. Because, yeah, great. It is great to celebrate somebody who claims the mantle of moral and academic superiority getting a comeuppance for, well, it turns out her moral, ethical, and academic failures. Mainly cheating. And by cheating, I mean literally just copy, pasting, and maybe changing one to two words of entire pages of disrota- uh, dissertations and academic uh, journalistic or journal writing work. That's what was being charged here. And people like Christopher Rufo and others uh, who did monumental work in digging up her academic past celebrated yesterday, including the, I think, infamous um, and, and something that Christopher Rufo has been doing as he points out and wins battles in the field of academia, they uses the word scalped or scalping, okay? There's no doubt that he took down Claudine Gay. There's no doubt that that took place. Absolutely none. No doubt whatsoever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But he wrote Skelt on X. And boy, oh boy, did the left absolutely pounce on it to the point of this. This is from the Associated Press. Christopher Rufo, a conservative activist who helped orchestrate the effort, celebrated her departure as a win in his campaign against elite institutions of higher education. On X, formerly Twitter, he wrote, scalped, as if gay was a trophy of violence, invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonists who sought to eradicate Native Americans. Um... Um, what are you even talking about? Did the practice of scalping happen? But I've got a simple question for the AP. Where did that practice begin? Where did the white colonists get that from? Because nowhere in the 
history of European war, of the Crusades, or or anything of the sort, has the idea of, quote-unquote, scalping been a thing? I, I'm just very curious about that. What, what, where did we get that from? Oh, it's because academia and media have basically turned Native Americans, Indians, whatever words or word you want to use for them. They have basically disnified them. They've turned them into caricatures. And all of them must be noble. The noble native, right? They're all super noble. They all had nothing but greatness in them. No, no savagery, no murder, no raiding, no interfighting, no nothing. They were the cream of the moral and ethical crop. As the left in its academia and media world would like you to believe in 2024 and also in 2023 and in 2022 and in 2021 and 2020 and 2019, I can go on. But on the flip side, all white colonizers, right? All the white people that came from Europe, bad, 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 bad. Again, oppressor, oppressed narratives. Now, this is also one of the most disgusting rewrites of history I've ever seen because I am pretty damn sure that uh, the white people who engaged in the scalping of natives got it from, wait for this, the practice made famous and infamous by the Native American populations themselves because it was absolutely their practice of savagery. It was their practice to notify their enemies and their friends of whom came, conquered, and decapitated and murdered their way. It was a symbol of domination, dominance, and intimidation. In Native American culture, that's where it came from. That's who started it. And yes, did some of the people involved in the um, Indian Wars or on the frontiers do this? Absolutely they did. In return for the practice having been done to their populations, because it's the practice of the quote-unquote noble natives. The entire idea and concept of noble natives is absolutely a disgusting, terrible, horrible rewrite of actual history. Now, it's also true that personally, I wouldn't have used the term scalped if I were Christopher Rufo. I would have Use the term win. Won. I won this battle. Because the war is far, far from over, and he knows that. And the other investigative journalist who uncovered the absolute fraud that is Claudine Gay. Now, we also had Ibram X. Kendi and others suggest that, well, plagiarism is just institutional white supremacy or, or something of that sort. 
by the way, I challenged him to answer the assumption. No answer on, on X by Ubram X. Kendi because he is a grifter, a gaslighter. He is not being honest, and neither are the people who put this together at the AP. Absolutely not being honest. Absolutely being grifters. The reality of the situation is that Claudine Gay is an absolute academic fraud. She wants to enforce a plagiarism standard, right? A standard, a set of rules on the general Harvard populace. If you are a student, you're caught plagiarizing a sentence, plagiarizing a paper, plagiarizing all whatever. You're subject to suspension, potentially expulsion, everything else. But as she climbs the academic ladder, she literally, according to all of the information that is public, that is transparently available, literally was ripping not just words or missing an attribution. She just literally took portions, like page after page after page of other people's work and passed it off as her own original thought. That's what plagiarism is. Plagiarism it isn't, isn't as simple as, oh, crap, I forgot to attribute the quote that I made, or I, got, I forgot to add according to and the individual while I am talking in paragraph one and paragraph then two and three. No. She attempted to pass them off as original ideas and original work, and that's what plagiarism is, folks. That's at the crux of this. And as I noted yesterday when I tried to to get an idea out of Ibram X. Kendi what he was talking about, because he downplayed the plagiarism as an idea that this is really about uh, playing a gotcha game with a black person and that uh, that the standards must be different and that they're really only applying the standards to a black woman. Now, never mind the fact that um, most of what she was caught ripping off was academic original work from, wait for this, a fellow black female in the 1990s who original thought was a thing. So either she stole from somebody who is of her ilk, and that's bad, because we're not even talking about her stealing something from a white person and, and allowing Ibram X. Kendi the, the, the racial and the racialist idea that, well, it's, it's okay because black oppress oppressor, right? You've got two people in the same category according to Ibram X. Kendi. Or, or what seemed to actually be the suggestion, which is disgusting on its face, that, um, well, really... Um, you shouldn't be punished as a black female because, and more importantly, as a black person in academia, because really um, can't think for ourselves and we shouldn't have to attribute work of other people because, well, th there's just no way that we could possibly think for ourselves and put original thought. Or as you take somebody else's work and rip off and duplicate, you 
find a spin on the same idea and the same concept, but don't rip off literally 90% or 95% of what somebody said. We're not changing phraseology or putting one paragraph in front of the other, one sentence in front of the other, or only changing the the quotation marks or whatever. No, literally ripping off page after page after page. I, I, I can't abide that. Now, on the other hand, here's the good news. It, this is a dismantling of an institution, especially because the people at Harvard, the people at the corporation that is Harvard's decision makers, backed her to the hilt. They backed her. They said, oh, psh, it's just a few sentences here and there, and, and she's correcting the, the incidental, the um, unintentional mistake. I'm going to tell you this right now as somebody who's been writing <coughs> on an academic level in the past, not so much right now, but has wrote on an academic level in the past since I was about 14 years old on a high academic level when I've been taking college courses while in high school, okay? Um, you don't unintentionally rip off entire paragraphs, entire pages of other people's work and attempt to pass it off as your own. That's an intentional move. There's nothing unintentional. There's nothing unnefarious. That is an absolutely intentional act, and you got caught. Again, this speaks to the ethical standards of the academia world. This speaks to the DEI racialization of academia. It speaks to in volumes, loud volume of the double standard that can be applied in academia and how we shouldn't trust these quote-unquote institutions to do any good for society right now. And the more that these things get dismantled, the more the ladder of academia becomes rickety. The way that it is structured today, the better. And that's not a suggestion to go backwards to something like the 1950s or 40s or whatever have you. No, it is a suggestion that it needs to be dismantled at its core and then built differently. My suggestion is we live in a world in which none of the way that we do quote-unquote higher education needs to exist. None of it does. Literally none. That I'm a big fan of college sports, right? If it went away tomorrow because the universities went away, it went away tomorrow because I can find different ways of quote-unquote learning. Okay. Why do I have to attend the University of, of Wisconsin to get an engineering degree? Why can't I just apply and become some sort of an apprentice and learn through corporate academics, right? I can learn the trade, the craft, the whatever. I don't need the extra stuff. If they see that as a worthy investment, in fact, I would argue that investing maybe 
the the five thousand dollars a year that it might cost for a, a three hundred sixty day a year education. You might be able to do it in one or two years, and that investment gets paid back in the amount of time maybe that they have to quote unquote serve at that company. we've got to find a different way of doing education in the 21st century. That, that's the reality that I have come to when it comes to looking at academic freedom or more importantly, I should say educational freedom. There's got to be a different way to do what's needed for our society. And my simple question is this. If you can answer me that these institutions are serving for the betterment of society or not the detriment of society. Okay. Prove it. My suggestion is that they by and large, look, a liberal arts education, reading, writing, arithmetic, blah, 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 blah. That's great for some people. But my question is this, do I have to have a degree in English to write a novel? Do I have to have a degree in the fine arts to become a painter? No, no. In fact, uh, no, no, just literally no, I don't. Now, if I want to learn about art history, do I have to take a course at Harvard? No, I can literally do so online and learn about the history of different artists, artists, different styles, different eras, different this, that, and everything in between. I, I really think we need to look at interest-based education going forward. If you want to get that type of uh, education, do so. Do it for yourself. These institutions are not serving any good for our society. They're not. That's the reality. They're there as self-serving, self-aggrandizing, quote-unquote, institutions. And furthermore, we get this um, from, I believe this is from Jonathan Chait, writing in New York Magazine, quote, this is the kind of trap Rufo specializes in exploiting. He attacks targets that maintain high ethical standards, which he himself doesn't care about at all, forcing them to choose between maintaining their standards and resisting his nakedly political agenda. Like many journalists, I have faced this kind of attack before, with Rufo trying to use rather small factual corrections to support his farcical narrative of a left-wing media conspiracy. Minor ethical, high ethical standards. I'm just simply going to put it this way. There's no such thing as a high ethical standard when you are literally somebody who rips off whole cloth pages of other people's works. That's not ethical in any way, shape, or form. This is not a simple missing of quotation marks, folks. That's what the left wants you to believe. And as far as Rufo politis, are you kidding me with this concept of politicalization of academia? Are you kidding me that there's no left-wing media bias? There are only three sectors of our society that are more left-wing than regular media. The sports media world, the tech world, and wait for it, wait for it, the bureaucracy world. That's it. Sports world, the bureaucracy world, 
the tech world, and general media. It's as far left-wing, it is not representative of our larger society in any way, shape, or form. And it does no good for our society to be so, so far out of whack of the realities on the ground. We have to rethink a lot of things. Speaking of which, as we end today's program here, what is the theme of 2024 on this show? And that theme is going to be simply this. Is this Liberty's Last Stand? Liberty's Last Stand. Now, yesterday, I made two predictions, right? I made a prediction that, number one, Team GOP would lose in 2024 and set the stage for dictatorship. It would rise up, okay? We enter an era of dictatorship. That's what I said. Now, I also said that the left would openly begin to call for actual civil war on their opponents. For people who don't think like them, it's time to actually commit violence. Not to other them, not to segregate them out of academia, out of media, out of sports media, out of the bureaucracy. Not to segregate, segregate. You go to blue state, you go to red state. No, they're going to come out of the closet and say, you don't deserve to live in this society that we want. You and your thoughts need to go away. And it's time that we openly, openly go after you. We're not just going to other you. We're not going to dox you. We're not going to do whatever. We're actually going to make your thoughts, your opinions, your way of life illegal, and you're not going to do anything about it. The real call for civil war will come. Now, that's really dark. It's really grim. Those concepts are really hard to talk through, right? I agree. Absolutely. They're dark. So, what do I mean by liberty's last stand? It's, number one, a realization of where we are, but number two, it is about bringing hope and light into that darkness. Because I don't believe that it's totally over. I've just been forecasting what I believe and what I've seen heading towards 2024. But is liberty not hopeful? Is it not a shining beacon? Is it not light versus darkness? Can, the question really is, can anybody shine that light bright enough to get us out of this very dark moment? And by the way, I'm not talking about Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Donald Trump. No, 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 no. I don't think it's any one person. I think it's a dedicated kind of fraternity, if you will. That's why I talk about form, not coalitions but fellowships. And I think it's important that we work to highlight those that are actually working to shine a light in their families, within their own communities, their neighborhoods, their niches within the broader world throughout this year. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to double down 
on talking about the plan to revive liberty because it's a personal plan. As much as it is a broader plan, this is something that I hope that you take, that you enact, that you go forward with and become one of those beacons that shines bright light instead of darkness in 2024. There's going to be lots of talk about being a quote-unquote happy warrior. But I also like to deal with reality. There's no question about that. So it's a bit of a mindset shift here. But here's the reality. As much as I believe that liberty is on its last leg and that this is its last stand, if that's the reality and that it could go down the ship of liberty, I'm going to go down swinging for the fences for liberty. The Washington Post famously has its tagline as democracy dies in darkness. So my question is, what is the light that beats darkness? It's liberty. But this is it, folks. Because if there's a significant loss in this election, it is a signal to those whom in my first two predictions of 2024, it is an absolute signal that people are willing to allow tyranny, autocracy, if you will, in their lives. And that was largely true in the COVID era. So they've got that piece of evidence in their, in their brain. But are you going to allow not just the corruption of the Bidens, but all the things that we have talked about and seen Are we going to allow those things to happen in 2024? And all of it culminates in as simple as this. Is liberty worth fighting for? Not in a physical sense, because I believe those who want to provoke actual civil war on either side are bat nuts crazy, are awful, shouldn't be anywhere near the actual discussion? Well, here's what I'm going to do to help shine a light. I'm going to feature many interviews on single subjects, but that 10-point plan that we've laid out on this program before, okay, on that step-by-step guide to revive liberty in your own life. In fact, we've got one such big interview coming up next week. Because I'm going to be speaking with the Blazes' Aron McIntyre as we kick off Liberty's Last Stand. We're going to talk about actual, not problems, but solutions. We want to focus on how to have Liberty become a beacon in your life, in your community. And I think that the plan that we've laid out in reviving Liberty is that plan. And I want to show you people And I want you to expose me to people who are living those things out. People who are looking for fellowship instead of coalitions. People who are willing to um, become God-centered in their own lives. And maybe they haven't in the past, but they are. People who are taking that and becoming beacons within their families, within their communities. So, Introduce me to those individuals, and I'll introduce them to our broader audience. But it's going to be a long haul in 2024. And once a week, 
for the first 10 weeks, we are probably starting next week going to be taking a look at those 10 steps. There were 10 steps kind of on that path. There are also 10 actions, and we're going to talk about those things because this is the reality. Liberty is on its final leg in America. You can argue that it's already lost. You can argue that we've had liberty slipping away. You're right. But at some point in time, we're going to look back and go, oh, this was the absolute Archduke Ferdinand moment of how, uh-oh, we we lost our liberty literally the Constitution might have been a thing. You know, let's put it this way. If you're a history fan, how did how did the general populace not see the Nazi takeover of Germany coming? It's because they were led to believe that everybody was playing by the same book. Everybody was playing by the constitutional, the Weimar Republic, and the rules of the game, right? Everybody abided by those rules, until one organization said, yeah, we actually don't agree to those rules anymore, but we're going to use those rules to our advantage. And then once we've got the power, all of it, all of it, we're, we're actually going to make sure that, nah, nah, brah, uh, the rules of the game have now changed. That's what we're up against, in my view. I fervently believe that 2024 is about making sure we just stop and give liberty a chance going forward. With that, folks, I hope you have a really great Wednesday. Please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals, and as always, Matthew 547. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.